took a vow in summertime. Now we find ourselves in late December. That wasn't funny. Avoid <laughs> an admission. Avoid privacy snags by telling people they're being recorded. Yeah. Just good life advice. Maybe if True. Purple Haze would have told Harris that, then is that skipping way ahead to the end of the episode? Yeah. Let's Yeah. What show is this? Uh you've you've reached Tell Me Where to Turn on your podcast dial. Episode one hundred and ten, which coincidentally is the same percentage of effort I'll be That's... providing over the next sixty minutes. <laughs> You're providing the NO explode level of effort, not just the regular level. Uh, yeah, scoop and a half. So I've been uh, I've been getting up earlier to work out than I had been, just due to some unfortunate Nashville traffic situations that people didn't tell me about before I moved here. And uh, I'm starting to maybe consider. I'm not done it yet, but at least Uh-oh. entertain the possibility of maybe like a quarter scoop. Just to see, just to see how it feels, see how it goes. I don't know. Who who are you, by the way? You can find me on Twitter at tommy two underscore zero. Who's the guy who asked you who you were? <laughs> you can find me uh, on Twitter at point break underscore Dave. I like to think of this podcast as an NXT podcast where it's taken a while, but eventually we're going to get to the main roster and just beat everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, common theme this week on the uh, WWE main shows. Uh, you can find me at Glenn three underscore 11, and you can find the show at where to turn pod on the Twitter. So, so I will now, f- I will now field your Elimination Chamber questions. How many times did you find the rainbow crosswalk and then just sit down like Aleister Black in the middle of it? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because I had written that down in my notes. I, I was cracking myself up today with an Aleister Black thought. <laughs> when I, I found myself, it was one of those days where I was just going building to building, meeting to meeting, and I thought, how funny would it be if every time I entered a new meeting room, I just did the somersault right into the Alistair Black pose, just right on the middle of the floor. Like, just like that's a prop bet you lose that just for, you can't ever explain why just any room you enter for like the next 90 days, you just have to enter it that way. You have to sit there like the pouting kid, for like 10 seconds straight. I, I didn't see the rainbow crosswalk there. I guess maybe there's only one. I have, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't see any. Maybe, but they do exist there. Let me blow your mind. What if maybe Uh-oh. the rainbow crosswalk got in cahoots with a couple other rainbow crosswalks to make a fake rainbow crosswalk <laughs> that never actually really existed, and then the Houston police arrested the rainbow crosswalk? Did you guys? <laughs> I mean, I really thought this one out. Did you guys see that uh, New Day Big E took a shot at that on SmackDown? Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, that was, that was, that was where I left off. I I haven't watched the very last match, but yeah, he mentioned something about, uh, empire being in the news lately. Can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was great. They were giving Kofi a hard time about how long he's been around. He's like, when, you know, comparing him to different things, he's like, when he started empire, wasn't even a show. 
that show's been on so long, they're trying a lot of things to keep it in the news right now. <laughs> Uh, no, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten that far yet. I, I stopped after, uh, after the, uh, tag match, the DIY versus the bar. Didn't make Maybe it a to, little bit to go then. Didn't make it to good E to big E. So I guess Let's the first question I have about elimination chamber is how many minutes before they actually opened the doors to the arena? Were you waiting in line to get in? No, we, uh, it was me and my my oldest son, the six year old, and uh, eh, we didn't get there until we were in the doors about twenty minutes before the pre show started. Okay. So a good forty five fifty minutes before the main the main card began. And was was he excited going in, or did he not know what he was getting into? I mean, what was his what was his level of engagement leading up to the uh, to the event? Well, his engagement in general with wrestling is usually he and his brother will watch the first match of raw on Monday and then they go to bed, but like that's as, really all they watch. As soon as week. Baron Corbin comes out, they're done. They're like, I want to go play <laughs> I, with my toys. I, I have, I do have a funny little uh, story about that, that later in the, in the, in the event that how my son reacted to his entrance, but um, he was, he was looking forward to it, but he's he's very much like me personality-wise. He can be just completely like stoic and unemotional, but still be looking forward and be excited about something. He just doesn't really show it outwardly. So um, I, I would they call say that not that having he, a soul. He, <laughs> yeah, I would say he was looking forward to it. Definitely wanted to go, uh, even after it started with the first chamber match the women's tag team i mean he was he was watching it he was enjoying it but the moment where everything changed was when nia Jax went flying through the one of the chambers and knocked herself out he like grabbed me and pointed he was like did you see that she just ran right through it and he was did he say that that huge man in the women's match just ran through the glass dad why did they let him in there to start He was very engaged from that point on, though. So yeah, he he definitely dug it. Does he have a uh, Does he have an early favorite? Is he Is he in the Balor Club or? Um, no, he hasn't really established who he really uh, wants to root for. Um, although as the night progressed, he along with you know ninety nine percent of the crowd was definitely rooting for Kofi in the in the main event. And even before, when it was just, there was five guys left, he'd already pointed out that he wanted the guy in the green looking pants to win. He didn't want any of these other guys. Is that really what he said? (laughs) That's exactly what he said. His only disappointment with the New Day was he said, why aren't they throwing pancakes to everybody when they came out? He said, daddy, he looks athletic. I bet he wins. (laughs) So, yeah, City of Houston, obviously I'm I'm a big fan. It's very, very well established here on the, on the podcast. Um, Did you wish any natural disasters or other acts of God to destroy the city? Uh, funny you mentioned that. As we entered the arena, all I need to do to just really just satisfy this kid for the entire evening is get him a thing of popcorn and a regular soda. And I've got 
20 plus minutes to get that even before the pre-show starts. Well, the Toyota Center decided that, hey, we've got about 15,000 people here tonight. Let's have like four concession stands total <laughs> open. So like it's just four grand a piece for, you know, how, how it's divided out access wise. There was a place you could get popcorn. It was at least 50 people deep when we got there. And I advised him. I was like, that's not going to happen, buddy. At least not right now. And then, and so we walk around and you've got, it, it's not like, you know, the AAC um, doesn't have concessions all the way around it, but, you know, really it's just in the, the corridors where the stairs and stuff are, where there's no concessions. Otherwise it's pretty solid yeah. on the first level. Well, here you walk in and the, the front entrance and then the whole like right side, there's, it's just like. It's like a Houston Rockets shop, and they had the WWE shirts, and they had some other stuff. You got to go around this curve to get to the concessions. Well, that's where that's the end of the arena where they had the entrance ramp, so nobody's sitting there. So yeah, I get it. Okay, we don't have these open because of that reason, because people aren't sitting in those sections. But you don't have anything for the people sitting in the sections next to it, you know, like on the on the outside. So of course those were extremely crowded the ones that were open which was like again two or three out of the ten the the rest of them it looked like it looked like a valley view mall like just <laughs> a bunch of places that were once open but now there's just a cage there <laughs> maybe so maybe fema hasn't gotten there yet it's just so go easy we're in line and it's like 529 and we're still about 15 people from getting uh, whatever we were going to get. And then I hear, you know, Ichiro Suzuki's music, <laughs> whatever that guy's name was, kicked in. And I was like, bud, we didn't come here to stand in line. <laughs> so we're going to go get in our seats. And I, I was like, I will go get you food as soon as this starts to clear out. So um, so we did eventually. I got up there. And the funny thing is, like, all the lines are 50 deep. Like, the instant that first match ends, I am – fire fire out of my seat and slowly walk obviously <laughs> so you have you haven't fired out of anything in about four months so no and uh and get up to the top of our section and the one concession area that was open right there first person in line like everyone is cleared out and then you so, got your large soda and then daniel bryan just came out of nowhere and slapped it out of your hand <laughs> called me a moron <laughs> Now, I, I will say this, though. The giant gourmet burger that I did obtain there, <laughs> top-notch. It was excellent. I, I, so, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever gotten a hamburger at a stadium that I would consider myself pleased with the decision afterwards. They're, they're always terrible. Well, see, the Toyota Center doesn't have... Like, the AAC has the lower-level... Then like the 200 level, it's the club, and then the 300, which is you know up there. Um, yeah, we have a name for that. <laughs> the uh, Toyota Center just has the lower level, and on like each side is basically the club level, just part of that, and that's where we were, by the way. Of course, behind a, it was behind a curtain, very exclusive, <laughs> you know, real real hush hush. So real ground uh, beef. So you you get the popcorn, 
You throw it to your son. You tell him, this is what you wanted. <laughs> it's all over. And I'm like, you did this to yourself. Then so, what yeah, he, he He definitely enjoyed it, though. So, I mean, as we progressed through, he enjoyed every match. And every after every one of them, he'd be like, okay, how many is that? How many more do we have left? But, I mean, if as when it got down, only had like two or three left. He's like, oh, man, I really wish we had more. Um, I don't think any of them really boring. I think the only one that didn't, you know, pop in my mind was they rolled Ruby Riot out there for 35 seconds and then immediately put her in a submission hold. So what you're saying is that nothing popped during that match. No, there was great disappointment at that. But the the best was obviously yet to occur as... Bex comes out on the crutches and then beats Flair and Rousey with the crutches <laughs> in the ring. And watching on TV, I don't know if you caught this in the arena, but there were some wild shots that were hitting him in the face and the head. Like it was not a uh, well choreographed scene. And I I read online that all the criticism fell on the the two not swinging the crutch because they wouldn't turn their back to the crutch and just lay still. They're right. like flopping around like fish out of water getting hit in the head and hitting the, yeah hit a hitting the arms and the head all over the place so they wouldn't just take it don't ever take that out of context by the way it could sound really bad in the wrestling so, terms um so right after that was when when that whole charade ended and they're walking back up they go ahead and just kick in Baron Corbin's music the lone wolf appears and He's not three steps out in his vest that, you know, and my, and my son has seen him because he's, if they watch the first 20 or 30 minutes of raw, I mean, he's, especially <laughs> as general him. manager, he's always on it, you know? Yeah. And they see him, he gets booed, whatever. So I'm not even paying attention to him, to my kid. Um, <laughs> but Baron Corbin walks out and then I, I see him out of the corner of my eye and I turn and he's sitting there with his, with his head in one of his hands and he's just holding up his other hand, giving the biggest thumbs down six-year-old <laughs> could possibly give. Oh, that would have to be a proud moment. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, buddy, yeah, nobody, nobody likes this guy. So, uh, the moment you guys, I already to you, uh, where there was some pop was during that match after Strowman had put Corbin through a table. And then I'm just like, try, I'm trying to catch it because I want to take some video to show my youngest kid because he didn't get a chance to go. Um, and as I'm doing that, all of a sudden McIntyre's music <laughs> kicks in and I, I turn into little girl Grego or something <laughs> like, immediately with excitement. So it was pretty, uh, I mean, it was, and then you get to the main event. I mean, you guys watched it, but I, well, and no, I went and, back and, and watching on TV, of... the crowd was just noticeably getting louder and louder during the event to the point where, you know, it was becoming pretty apparent that something special was happening more, you know, more so than just the normal, you know, normal crowd noise you'd expect. So that that's what I wanted to ask you about is what, what it was like being there in person, because it looked like probably, I guess, probably for the last, you know, 10, five to 10 minutes of the match, you know, everybody in there was just living and dying, you know, hoping that maybe just somehow they were going to let Kofi get away with that. So oh, was it, was it pretty, were you guys standing up for the last five minutes or so? Uh, yeah, for the, I mean, especially the last few minutes. Um, cause that, you know, we did, cause they both got up on like the top platform or whatever. And they were 
because we thought one of them was going to pick the other up and then, you know, whatever, suplex him off of there or something. And then they kind of just hit each other for a few minutes straight. Um, but definitely whenever Brian falls back and then Kofi's up top ready to hit him with the splash and, uh, that, that was the moment right there that you thought for a second it was going to happen. I mean, the, you had, you believed, yeah, the roof, the roof would have definitely blown off that place if he would have gotten a three count, but uh, it turned out the way that it needed to. So have you, have you reviewed any of the tape? After coming back, because I, what was killing me, and I texted you guys about this during the match, is every time there was a near fall at the end, like the cameras were basically finding like the only black guy in 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 the, in the crowd to get his reaction after every time, and this guy is just dying. He's just oh, I can't believe it. His hands on his head. He's just yeah. just 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 living and dying in the moment. I I was thought that was so funny that. That the producer is back there, like, quick, get another shot of the black guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, a couple of those close calls, they could have gotten me for a with a surrender cobra on the <laughs> WWE network because I definitely had one or two, at least one time where I believed that it was actually going to happen. But I think they, this is this is written the right way. They got a and the Daniel Bryan character is so great. Oh yeah. I, I don't I, I don't want him to lose. At least not until WrestleMania, and maybe not even then. Yeah. Well, you know my theory, and we'll we can get into this obviously plenty of other episodes, but just watch out for the returning Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. Okay. I think that's solid. Just watch out for that. Solid. If you think so, that's great, wait to hear my theories on the other show later. Do we need to? So Tommy has a friend that is. Widely referred to as a Roman Reigns truther. <laughs> and, and, okay. and you guys think this guy's doing a bit, but I assure you he's not. This is not a bit. He is a, he is a real Roman Reigns truther. And we received breaking news today that supposedly Monday, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's coming Monday. Which is also the Ric Flair birthday celebration. The very odd big celebration for his 73rd, because they're like, we got to do this now, guys. <laughs> this is 75's looking a little dicey. Yeah. So, how is it going to go? How how are we going to feel when Roman Reigns makes his triumphant return on the Ric Flair special show, and then Otis from Heavy Machinery, Heavy Machinery comes out and beats him clean in the middle? And then gives him leukemia. <laughs> no, I think I think I think you have all the, the the parts right. You just have it wrong. Is Roman comes out to the ring and then leukemia runs in from the crowd, and then Ric Flair comes out and puts leukemia in the figure four. It'd be pretty solid. <laughs> I'm I'm a little yeah, disappointed. I, mean, I, I don't have no idea what Roman's gonna say, and I don't know if he's gonna say you know I'm coming back or if this is just a ploy to get ratings for Monday, but. I'm a little disappointed because in my mind, I wanted him to run out unexpectedly one episode, just not have any, you know, any, we were joking about that at the WrestleMania, but just the big dog music hits in some important part. That's what I wanted to see. So, but yeah, this, uh, this friend of mine <laughs> says the whole thing was just a ploy. So Roman could go film a movie and that he's totally fine. And they just, they had to write him off TV for a few months. So then they, they decided the best thing they could come up with was 
leukemia. Have him come out and announce that he has leukemia. And they made a big point that, like, it's essentially impossible for someone to have leukemia and be filming a movie at the <laughs> no, same that's time. That's never happened before. No, but th- this uh, guy, this guy only cares about two things. And one is proven that Roman Reigns is lying, and, and two is that the Velveteen Dream is in the main event of WrestleMania this year. This year? Oh yeah, he he texted me his whole thing last night where Seth Rollins is going to go to WrestleMania and then he's going to be hurt backstage and they're not going to have any idea who's going to be in the main event and it's going to be a mystery opponent and then the Dreams music is going to hit and he's going to come out and beat Brock for the title. By the way, I would love that cuz I'm <laughs> I'm over Seth Rollins. There would be yeah. there would be whatever the capacity uh is in at MetLife Stadium there would be about 80 to 90,000 question marks over their head when that music hit. So they go, wait a minute. (laughs) So I know we got to get to true detective. I want one last quick hit on wrestling. And I don't know if I'm going to get a fight from either of you. You may be on my side. Ronda Rousey's ring work. Top three in the women's division. I'm telling Um, you this, like, Putting her out there and having, you know, not so much the Ruby Riot match, but at Elimination Chamber, but she's going out there and putting on the longest women's matches there are. And 95% of the women couldn't go out there and put on a decent match at those lengths. I will, I will give you no fight. In fact, I think saying top three may be too low. Now, did, her, you see, did you see, though, when she, was when, she, when she dove off out of the ring, though, that she slipped and uh, kicked Liv Morgan right in the face? <laughs> Yeah, did you also see she rolled over and like talked to her? It's like, yeah, hey, like sorry. If you, yeah, if you turn it up, you could cl- like clearly hear her saying sorry. <laughs> but that match was other than no, the fact it was that... a, it was a great match, and she she works at a different speed than everybody else too. I mean, you can tell. I will say this though: when Ruby hit her with the second riot kick, I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's happening. There is no way. There's no, no way that there's no world we live in where that could happen. But no, no I, but I do wish I agree. I wish we could have gotten that that Monday night match during the pay per view. I, I see yeah. why they did it the way they did, but that would have made Sunday night all that more enjoyable if I would have had any hope there for some kind of weird yeah. weird WrestleMania turn. You said you're having to explain to your son, like, look, sometimes Dad's favorite wrestler just she doesn't have it. <laughs> Sometimes she taps out in the first 90 seconds of the match. Yeah. Okay, we all have those days. That was real tough. Is it time, oh. guys? Oh, I, I have uh, I have an email. It's very okay. short. Let's hear it. And since we're talking wrestling, um, let's access email. This comes from Joey. Uh-oh. <laughs> Last time we heard from him, he said we were a bunch of dicks for making fun of Roman Reigns. And so good, so I, yeah, good timing. I see not much has uh, much has changed. Maybe we could invite Joey and my uh, my other friend to come on the podcast and debate Roman Reigns' leukemia. And just let him go. Just let him so go. Just, we extend them the to open forum, like they say on the hard line. The, the forum is yours. So Joey sends this. Just says. Uh, Great job on the Royal Rumble podcast. It was great to get the post-game report on how the weekend went, and he's still in shock that Dave got to meet Becky Lynch. Said the episode was just straight fire. Ah, 
That is good. Yeah, this sounds like he's he's fluffing us up for something though. <laughs> well, the next one is gonna be like you guys are the worst. You keep making fun of a guy with leukemia. You even have a guy on the outside making fun of him for you. <laughs> yeah. Your wives are more interested in him. I know. I've heard all of his all of his digs. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh let's get into True Detective. Now, I will tell you that um, <laughs> you I didn't am watch the episode. 10%, but only like uh, 2% of that was my preparation. This <laughs> is just performance. Well, I got good news for you guys. I've got notes. Wow. <laughs> I, I made I made notes too. We're good to go. All right. You, so you guys, this is epi- ep- two sets of footprints. Then <laughs> it's episode episode seven uh, of the uh, total of eight. So the what you would call the penultimate episode, or I like to call it the penultimate episode. <laughs> Just a pronunciation thing. Title of the episode was the final country, and uh, <laughs> I didn't stutter. And uh, as I was reading through some different review sites today, I couldn't help but notice that of of the sites that uh, actually accept star ratings for each individual episode, this was one of the highest, and in many cases, the highest rated uh, episode of the season thus far. It, it was good. I, I like the one before it a little bit better, but this one was good. Yeah, and I think, I think this one... Um, did everything you'd want the episode leading into the finale to do is, you know, it gave you some answers. It, you know, gave you a line of thinking that seems pretty logical about where this could go, but then also leaves enough up in the air for doubt that I think going into the finale, there's a million different ways it can go. And I think at the very end of, of our discussion of this, I want to get some predictions on record uh, as we go into the finale of what you think is going to happen. Can I go ahead and throw mine out now? They were O'Brien's they were passing, not really dead. <laughs> they were, they were passing notes through that hole in the closet. <laughs> That's gonna be proven. That's my prediction. Can't take that in the parlay. Did notice there was um, more and more support from some other listeners of the show that the 1990 version of Amelia was the hottest. I can't support anybody who maintains that belief. I. Oh, the 1990 is far and away the best. So the episode starts with uh, Wayne dropping his daughter, Rebecca, off. Uh, and I'm guessing that it was college. I, I think that was, yes. it wasn't a, they weren't sending her away to boarding school. But I believe that's the first time we've seen her not as a child in the show. Yes. And people, you may have come across this, are making a big deal about this very short seemingly innocuous scene. I'd like to know more about this. Basically, as we all like that scene, if you cut it out, the episode doesn't change at all. Right. No, like it does. It, it doesn't really, really add anything. No. But the one uh, thing people are pointing out is if <clears throat> you figure uh, Becca's age in 1990, they're saying this is roughly probably 1998 when this when she would be college age. Okay. So this is the only scene in the whole series that hasn't been 1980, 1999, or 2015. And they believe that the only reason to throw in this kind of throwaway scene 
is to introduce a fourth time period where something happens in 1998. Well, I did notice mm. that Amelia wasn't with him dropping the daughter off to college. So would that seem to indicate that she she's either not doing very well or is already passed on? It would. It seems like that's a pretty big event that you would probably be there for. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. Do we need to look at a calendar and see if maybe Elimination Chamber was going on at the same time? Because <laughs> you got to get your priorities right. But wasn't She's one of your right big there. theories, Dave, that that uh, Amelia and then Rebecca, the daughter, die in the same event? Wasn't that a theory you floated that, on? That was that was a theory. So, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discrediting that theory yet. Okay. I think that's still out there yeah because i think the uh just to give a little bit of context to that i think the prevailing wisdom is that rebecca's probably not alive in 2015 but the they've either told wayne so many times that they're tired of putting him through the grief or uh he killed her yeah or he killed her or they've or the yeah or they've never told him one of the two hmm yeah, that was kind of an odd scene because all they all they did was he drops her off and then he basically gets sad that he's taking her to college. And then that's it. Yeah. And then we jump right from there to back to Devil's Den. Oh, dear. And we have a body. <laughs> Rest in peace, in peace, Tom Purcell. We have another Purcell body. <laughs> it's like the Royal Rumble all over again. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for the shoddy police work that we've already seen in this show where they find the pristine backpack amidst a bomb going off, like how could you not look at the Tom Purcell suicide scene and immediately say, this was clearly staged? The Tom has that... no idea how to use a typewriter. Right. <laughs> and everything was spelled correctly, which yeah. no one in the whole Purcell family can right. do. And I believe the note referenced wanting to spend time with his wife. He hated his wife. I didn't want true. to go spend time with her in lower heaven. But they immediately, again, the district attorney show him at the press conference, and he's he's basically like, yes, we've uh, we found the Purcell father. He was dead, but he left a note confessing to the crime. We're now taking the conviction off of the uh, former military minority that we pinned it on before, <laughs> and now we're just going to pin it on another dead guy. Uh, they can't defend himself, but we're going to promote diversity. He's a white guy this time. <laughs> That's no questions. Essentially what the DA does is he just kind of scrolls through the obituaries and is like, that, that guy probably did it. <laughs> it's like an indictment. <laughs> yeah. I think he might be in on it. What about that? Interesting. Interesting. That's my prediction. <laughs> You're just going to throw that out there with no facts to back it up? Just... <laughs> You heard me. He might be in on it. Um, After, so, well, one other one other takeaway from that scene, not a big surprise, is Roland takes it really hard. He uh, he even says to Wayne, like, we did this, you know, basically. And I think Wayne, makes, Wayne right. makes a great point coming back as he said, look, that was going to happen either way. Like, somebody was going to take a run at him. It was better that it was us than what would have happened. But I don't know if I can really argue with that logic because if the end outcome is that he killed himself, how could it have been worse than that? Yeah. I, mean, I guess he could have woodered it. <laughs> could have woodered it, yeah. I guess. 
But even his suicide note, it said, I am sorry, please forgive me. I'm going to see my wife and son. Well, the please forgive me, I mean, people put that in just for killing themselves. Please forgive me. That's not an admission to the crime. That's everything's that really bothered me. (laughs) Everything there, just dying is an admission (laughs) of a crime. They, uh, after that scene concludes, they go back uh, to the 1990 version of Wayne's home, which same time period. Um, but Amelia has big news for him, which is what had happened towards the end of the last episode, which is the um, the one-eyed man interrupting her book reading. Yes, yes. And uh, she, I'm I'm a fan of Amelia's get up and go attitude here because then she goes and hunts down the odd uh, best friend of Lucy Purcell. Well, hold on before, before we get to that. So when she tells Wayne about one eyed guy coming to the reading, then Wayne tells her that Tom killed himself. And right. like they essentially just came back from it and he kind of implicates himself. Did both of you think like I thought, well, Clearly, He's they're a, about to have sex. Yeah, yes, it's the first thing that <laughs> first thing that traveled to Just, my mind yeah. was he's about to, to cover pop your that eyes. shirt off. <laughs> but she, he did, you know. She mentions the the guy with the dead eye, the one eyed man, and he was like, "Okay, well, you know, what do you look like? What was his name?" Like, and she didn't have any of this information. He's like, "Great, thanks." <laughs> God, there's a bunch of people around here that have dead eyes. What do you want me to do with that? All right, go ahead, Tommy. No, no, I, I feel like that's a uh, that's a fa- <laughs> an odd fact of of that happened later when um, when they were talking to the guy in the bar that Lucy used to work with, and she's like, "Well, you know, do you ever see him with any black guys?" And she's like, "No, she didn't really date black guys, but I did see that cousin in here with a guy. Well, what did he look like? Well, he's a black guy." And then, like, the last detail he gives is like, "Oh yeah, and he only had one eye." <laughs> Like, I think that's even above race, right? Because, like, if the police <laughs> are asking you to describe somebody, yes. like, you start with the most identifiable characteristic and work down. So, yeah, like, the first thing I'm saying if they ask me is, like, the guy had one eye. Like, let's start there. You don't just, he's like, descri- that's like, the, as, as she's getting up from the table after thought, oh, yeah, yeah. He's describing him to, like, a, a sketch artist. He's like, no, the, the mouth is a little wider. And then they do the whole thing at the very end. He just erases one eye. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about that one. It was just all. It was all white. There's no pupil. But but that was actually the the next scene in in uh, Amelia's little montage of doing her own detective work. Which hey, kudos to her. Great detective work. She uh, she found Lucy's friend, the uh, the Hispanic woman, and uh, and she actually finds a clue there. She finds her, a picture yeah, from Halloween. She does. She does. Oh, with the ghosts in the background. With two ghosts in the background. One of them white and one of them black. Couldn't see their eyes. The the people wearing the they were actually white ghosts, but the uh people wearing the ghost costumes. Yes. One of them appeared to be African American. Indeed. Indeed. Oh. So um was that okay? I may be skipping around. Had she gone to the 
Well, she'd gone to the bar. We just talked about that, right? Yeah, I think she. Was... I think the sequence of events in in the way the narrative was told is she visited the friend and then the bar, because I think yeah. she got. Um, I think she's kind of down that one eye African American trail, so it's kind of building on that. So, quick uh, oh. aside you for Amelia. Just cut all this out. Amelia, Sorry, was... <laughs> go ahead. I was thrown <laughs> off by the one eyed African American trail. <laughs> yeah, I was too. I really wish I hadn't have said that. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Amelia, terrible mother. Oh my yes. gosh, she left her kids in the back seat. And she was going to, she wasn't interviewing the Secretary of State. It was a dude that works at a bar. He's there every single night. Yes, there was you no. Can go the, night, the next night and talk to him. <laughs> there was no appointment needed. No, as soon as I saw her, uh, as soon as I saw her getting out of the car and realized she was going to leave the kids in the back seat, I was just doing the Daniel Bryan, just no, no, no. <laughs> well, that's when, of course, that wouldn't have made sense because we already saw uh, Becca being dropped off for for college. But I did have one second of when she left him out there that, what this is when it's going to happen. Somebody's yeah. going to take the girl. But then I thought about the college thing. I was like, okay, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Unless they took her and then just returned her and said, I, I thought she was somebody else. <laughs> well, I mean, it has happened before, so. So I think after that, we go back to 2015 and Wayne is interviewing with, with Eliza. Oh, yes. They're talking about Tom. And she asked him about if he ever considered the fact that he didn't actually kill himself, which he, 2015 Wayne is just like, well, that's just kind of what they told me. Yeah. You know? but, that's what the you know, ME whatever. said, and I go with that. Yeah. And he's like, are you suggesting that somebody, he was unconscious and somebody dragged him up there and just shot him? And she's like, yes, that is precisely <laughs> what I'm implying here. And they had their own study done or an independent autopsy that he had some kind of a contusion at the base of his skull that would not be consistent with shooting yourself in the head. But would be consistent with being drug up like a hundred flights of stairs. Right. Can you imagine right. the cardiovascular shape Harris James must be in to have done that? I mean, because when you've got an unconscious or potentially dead person, that's what they call dead weight. You want to try dragging that up that many flights of stairs? I seem to know a lot about this, <laughs> but I would say if you had the help of a district attorney <laughs> carrying it up the stairs at Devil's Den, you'd be able to do it. Or Wayne Purple Haze. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, yes, is that, yes. Is that going to be where we end here is just coming up with the most asinine theories possible? <laughs> and then you might you might end up being right, the one in a million chance. Exactly. Have we given good thought to the the best friend? Um, the lady that she was Lucy's to best friend. Yeah, I'm just throwing uh, out theories now. She didn't really yeah. do it. No, yeah. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, she wanted a... that picture back, though. Well, I think yeah. I think she was a hoarder, so I don't think it had anything to do with the picture itself. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about her morality. I mean, <laughs> probably gets lonely sometimes. Well, she was lonely. She was the only person who still lived in that neighborhood. Yeah. Because Amelia asked, like, when are you going to move out of here? Everybody else, all the houses look like uh, Walter White's house after they had figured out who he was and they abandoned it. They're all just graffitied skateboard vans out there in the swimming pool. 
She's like, I don't know. I just want to stay here. That's that's my impression. It was really good. <laughs> Maybe you could just do the rest of the show as her. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing that happened was um, they went back. Uh, so Roland and Wayne um, went back to look for Dan uh, at the hotel, and uh, he gone. And his wallet's yeah. there, his car's there, um, and it either looks like that he he's making a clean run for it, where he's you know he's leaving, you know nothing that could trace him back later, like that is when we found, or perhaps he was caught up in the uh, killing spree of the night before. Well, I noticed in the way that they filmed that, so. Wayne and Roland are talking and they're debating like kind of what happened. And it's obviously weird that all of his stuff is there, but he's gone. It seemed like towards the end of that scene, the camera kind of panned over where they're still in the shot, but the water in the background is a little more pronounced and focused. And I thought that's where Dan is right back there at the bottom of that. And in in about 15 years, a really hot TV reporter is going to have a picture of his skeleton that's found right (laughs) down there. She shows to everybody. But that the, uh, the discovery that Dan has absconded effectively ends the investigation in 1990 because they've now got somebody to pin it on. Um, and the only other viable witness that they had, um, is now out of the picture. So Wayne heads back to the old police station to pack up his banker's box of gear. And I guess go on to the next phase of his life being a traffic cop or highway patrol or whatever, you know, low level job they've relegated him to when uh, a lady comes and says, Hey Wayne, um, those phone records you requested, I've got them right here. We're mixing up the timeline a little bit because this was the reason he was delayed in Amelia's case, but it doesn't really matter. He starts looking through the phone records and immediately um, he sees a pattern. He sees a trend. And don't at that moment, didn't you think, man, detective work was a lot harder back pre-internet and databases. He's just like scrolling through just pages and pages of numbers. Yeah, actually, that thought occurred to me today. So at at work, be very delicate with the details here, but the need arose to check up on somebody online as part of my duties as a employee. And the amount of detective in Arkansas, (laughs) the amount of information that was so readily available is insane. And then you've got poor Wayne getting the phone records handed to him like a week after the case is just totally shot to S. Well, he only got that after he kept pursuing it because I think right after Dan's disappearance that Roland was was done. He was like, this is over. Right. Roland didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, and Wayne wants, he's like, we need to solve the case. And he's like, what are you talking about? We don't have any leads. It's a 10-year-old case. You're not going to solve it. And you know what? I really only brought you back into this just to get your career back, you know, going back again. Hey, good Um, guy, that Roland. This has not happened. Yeah. Good dude. So a little bit of conflict. That didn't end well. No. No. But they have another interaction that ends worse. (laughs) So Roland figures out, uh, figures out through some, some, or not Roland, some Wayne figures out brilliant detective work that the, the Harris James, uh, number shows up and 
Lucy's phone records, and it's not not around the time of the disappearance, but right around the time of Lucy's death. And uh, and then he has to call and get flight records because his next goal is to put Harris James on a flight uh, to Las Vegas. But in order to get the flight records, he goes ahead and impersonates Roland. I don't know if you guys caught that or not, but uh, oh yeah, yeah he he didn't give his own credentials on that request. I'm sure you have to be a little higher up the food chain. Gets the flight records, and sure enough, I mean there it is, plain as day. Harris flies to Vegas the day before Lucy dies, flies back the day after she dies. And now the smoky they've got the smoking gun. Indeed. And Roland wants nothing to do with it. He is, he's over it. And Wayne's there just absolutely um, shoving the evidence in his face. He wants nothing to do with it. And then Wayne pulls the most childish of all tricks. Well, hold on. First, in Roland's defense, we all know Harris James is still alive. Right. Which means they won't convict him. <laughs> That's, that was the, yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that. But, you know, he pulls it. <laughs> yeah, st- put a put a placeholder there. Stay tuned five minutes later. Uh, he pulls the real childish trick of like, hey, man, I mean, you want to let Tom just just go out like this and you know, you don't, you don't want to do what's right by him. And, and all of a sudden you can just see like the NO explode starts flowing through Roland's veins. <laughs> he definitely had a full scoop and it's, he goes from not wanting to do it to like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Cause you also had the scene. They went back to, I guess, 90. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. Maybe that was 80 when, uh, uh, Tom is he's leaving his house like he's packing up he's just gonna go Roland just happens to pull up he's like where are you headed man he's like just anywhere else I just have to get out of here and he's obviously in a Tom's never doing well at any moment in time <laughs> so this is just another time he's not doing very well but uh, Roland doesn't want him to leave and I thought we were about to find out why those two were so close because I thought really yeah, I thought Whoa. we were gonna have some, some an intimate moment there Whoa. for a second. I wish you would have predicted this in the that. last episode. <laughs> I didn't see that, but I I uh, I have sensed Tom's gayness at different points during the show, so I can and sympathize. Roland really likes Tom. No, he really does. He, does. he has a he has a, a soft spot in his heart for Tom. Now, before we get to what they went and did next with Harris there, they, in the show, they actually cut back to um, 2015. And this is kind of when the the interview with Eliza's heating up to the point where she pushes Wayne far enough that he doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, while that's going on, Roland shows up at the house, which is kind of awesome to see old Roland there. And I was hoping he would just go on camera right there with Eliza. I was hoping he would just walk with Eliza right there. <laughs> and just set the record straight, but he doesn't want anything to do with that. But he does, uh, he does pull Wayne's son aside and be like, Hey, you know, your dad's here by himself. And I just want you to know, he's, he's just chilling with a loaded gun on the, uh, on the bookshelf every night. Might want to get somebody in there to keep an eye on him. And I kind of wonder if this is going to end with Roland being that guy, he's going to just move in and, uh, provide adult supervision. Hmm. I can see that. It'd be pretty ironic since the show started with Wayne talking Roland not into discharging a firearm <laughs> at a fox. Full, full <laughs> circle. 
And now so, it's going to be Roland convincing 90-year-old Wayne to not banty about with a loaded firearm. I think what's going to happen is 90-year-old Wayne is going to finally solve this. And then forget. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to solve it. He's going to have the information. But the guilty party is going to realize he knows the truth. And they're going to go to confront him. And he's going to have the gun ready to defend himself. And then when he fires it, there's just a clip. And then they just, they blow him <laughs> down. He's going to see Tom is the next thing he's going to see. And that's how, that's how he like, so we're going to get the truth. He's going to solve it. But in the end, in the end, Hoyt food still wins. Dave, as they always do. Dave, I thought you were about to make a point. Oh no, I was just going to, I was going to, go along with that timeline in 2015 is also where Eliza essentially puts all her cards on the table. She shows the pedophile ring who apparently designed a logo that she was very concerned about <laughs> the multiple triangle weird logo. Yeah, they need to be then... tracking down the graphic designer is what they need to be doing. <laughs> Guys, and talented. then she goes on to talk about this whole high-level politician, you know, basically conspiracy that there's these pedophile rings that they essentially never get solved or broken up because there's two, there's many people in power that are involved, apparently. district attorneys willing to commit murder. Exactly. Well, and they show... They show on the the computer like, hey, yeah, because it happened a few years ago. And then you get the shot of Rust Cole and <laughs> oh, whatever yes. Woody Harrelson's character's name was. Hey. They had solved that one that involved the church in season one. But that's essentially when Wayne ends the show with Eliza because she was building, thinking that he, which we know he does, he never liked who they pinned it on. He always thought there was more to it, but he's not going to, he's not going to play along with her. So I think that may be the end of that, that show. They may have ended the uh, web TV or whatever Eliza was doing. (laughs) The podcast that had cameras. Yeah. So what if Eliza's not really a TV host at all? And she's really a detective and this was just an elaborate ruse to get Wayne to confess because he thought he was on a TV show or to slip up. Can I can I lodge like, that one in my uh, theory bucket? What if Eliza's yeah. not real? What if all this, like, remember when he saw, like, all the... <laughs> I'm going to be so mad if <laughs> this ends with there being some kind of a dream storyline. I'm going to be just livid if that happens. Kind of like the last season of Lost. I think I think we've I think Point Break Dave died. He did. Is he Uh-oh. frozen on your side? He's frozen on my side. Yeah, Point Break Dave's passed on. Oh <laughs> He's. You just switched say, sides say of the hello. screen. Say hello to Lucy for us. Oh, he's back. <laughs> that was really crazy, man. The whole thing just shut down. No, you were you were oh. like right in the middle of your point, and then he just froze, and I was like, well. 
I guess that's he it. Just laid, <laughs> he just laid the belt down. I saw I saw like a reflection of a Hoyt Foods truck in the background and he knows Point Break Dave much. was nowhere, but but on, on my end now you guys have switched sides of the screen, so Uh oh. What are we gonna do? To edit, yeah, edit that out and post. But yeah, I'm gonna be so disappointed if this ends up being like there being some kind of a figment of imagination type explanation to some of this. That is that is going to be a very dissatisfying ending. Completely agree. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think I I think more than likely is a scenario where they figure something out and then can't either can't get the truth out in time or or Wayne forgets. I mean, I think I think <laughs> more than likely an ending like that happens. So to kind of uh, to kind of get back to the main story thread. They uh they spot Harris leaving work. Now have we before they get to that they did identify the black guy with the the one eye they they identified a name. Through, yeah, they went and talked to people that oh, used yes. to work at Hoyt Watts, years back, right? Watts or Mr. Or, June. Yeah, well, Mr. yeah, June. that's right, Mr. June Watts was the name that um I guess Amelia had come up with through her detective work, but yeah, Mr. June. I like that. That's a creepy name. Do we the, go ahead? The theory was that Hoyt had hired him to to find the kids they needed, essentially. Yeah, well, it sounded like there was kind of a wheels off situation with Hoyt since they had a he had a daughter that was married, and then her husband oh, yeah. and daughter were killed, and then I get you know it sounded like that his daughter suffered from some type of mental yeah. illness. Killed. Yeah, killed, right, exactly as a Hoyt Foods truck ran their car off the road, I'm sure. But it sounded like that they ended up building some kind of a, you know, essentially home prison, you know, a la Pablo Escobar, to keep her uh, to keep her confined there at the Hoyt compound to keep her from hurting herself. And Mr. June was assigned to uh, kind of be in her caretaker and making sure everything was okay. So if you take that out a little step further, what if the ending of the show is that explains, gives you a plausible explanation for everything that Tom saw when he broke into the Hoyt house. So they've got this kind of dungeon looking area, but maybe that is just the part of the house they built to contain this mentally ill daughter. And what if Hoyt actually is the father of uh, Julie Purcell? because he had an affair with her promiscuous mother and he just went and uh, got his daughter and took her home to live with his family. And there was actually no crime committed at all and everything's fine. And that's where the investigation ends. And, uh, and the son, the son slipped and hit his head on a rock and um, they just happened to land exactly in a perfect prayer position in a cave. That would be my defense. Well, no, he so hit his head where this. they found the blood, and then he stumbled into the cave and then just lay down, and he just naturally put his hands in that position. And there was no it's... crime committed at all. Okay. I, have, I haven't read anything into this, so I don't know if anyone else has formulated a coherent theory. Whoa. But Is that a shot at me? No. That's a shot of I'm about to throw out something that I haven't fully flushed out. Do we take any thought in the fact that this guy's name is Mr. June and the Purcell girl was going by something July? Mary July. Oh. Hmm. 
<laughs> That's as far as you Yo. thought it out. As far. <laughs> hey, it's like we have to get through the other ten months in the last episode. Every yeah. good conspiracy, man. You just, you just throw out questions. You yeah. don't have to have anything. All questions, no answers. <laughs> so, all right, let's go to yeah. what uh, Tommy was getting. Yeah. To so they follow they, they follow they, Harris out. They pull up, pull off the uh, very. You see unsta- the make of Harris's car. No. I wanted, I tried to make it out because the way they're making them out, it had to be a Cadillac, right? If he's yeah, Mr. So or something higher end, sure. Yeah. I he, was hoping Roland would say something about it since he was all obsessed with how much money oh, Harris yeah, was making. So if you're, if you're in a situation in a movie and you're getting pulled over by the cop that puts the like temporary light up on the dashboard, like that's always the sign of like shady police behavior, isn't it? Like, like the honest cops don't ever pull somebody over in that fashion with the, with the makeshift light. Like, you know, some, some, something that's not in the police manual is about to go down at that point. And Harris, to his credit, he's, he smartens up to it pretty quick because he kind of, I think he kind of makes the gut decision. Like if I get out of this car, it's not going to go well for me. So he's got his hands locked on the steering wheel, you know, as, as Roland's, you know, tell him to get out of the car and, you know, seems to be a little perturbed. And now, you know, Wayne's gotten into the passenger seat and Harris puts up a little bit of a struggle. I, I admire him for that. You know, I think, I think they tell you that when you're, uh, when you're getting like self-defense training, you know, you want to, you want to fight there. You don't want to have to fight somewhere else on their turf. You know, you want to, you want to make your stand immediately. Blow your whistle, you know, so, that kind of stuff. Right. So we have, uh, apparently the cops are crooked. And if you're going to, you're going to fight the cops, you want to do it right outside your car before they take you somewhere on quote unquote, their turf. That's, is that our lesson that we're learning here? I feel like that was yes. a pretty cheap representation of the high level point I was trying to make, but that's fine. I back the blue. Yeah. Well, so do I. And uh and so did Harris until uh he passed away oh. about five minutes after this. <laughs> oh dear. Isn't it? But so they just beat him to hell. But when when you're watching the scene, I thought this was a terrific scene because when when he's saying, you know, so they're they're trying to get him to confess to some information, to to explain uh what his role in this was. And and Roland's mad, obviously, you know, he's um, according to Glenn, his uh, lover Tom uh, has passed away, and uh, and he's being really rough with him, and he's you know he's giving him some pretty stiff shots. Um, and when you <laughs> when you're when you're watching it, I mean, I'm buying like I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna die. Like my thought was that he was gonna die because of the beating unexpectedly, because he's going, I can't breathe, you know, I can feel my rib and my lung, and I'm thinking he's just going to like stop breathing and die right here. And then they're going to be like, Oh shoot, you know, we messed up and then cover it up. Like, so when he's yelling, you know, you got to help me, you got to help me. Like, I'm actually thinking like, yeah, you got to help him. I never considered the fact that he was, he was selling here. Here's what you forgot. And here's something you need to always remember watching the show. Roland and Hayes are terrible detectives. (laughs) Cause one, they fall for the old broken ribs ploy. I've, I was buying it too. I'm telling you. And then immediately shoot the one guy that has the answers. 
They're literally the worst. Yeah. Like, they're the worst detectives. So, before we get to the closing, closing scene, I want to ask you guys, at this point, so he's dead, they've buried the body, and, and you know, they've pretty much agreed that they're going <clears> to, <throat> they're going to cover this up. They're not going to call it in. Anything else happen in that scene? Were there some tense words? Or... Well, yeah, I'm not going to go. Oh, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. There was... Roland was not happy. At, no. uh, but he didn't actually say it. He just thought it. But but I think when you say, hey, I, when you say it, I'm pointing to you. When you say, I'm not saying that, but I want you to know I'm thinking it, <laughs> that's not really any different. <laughs> That's not really any different. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So I'm not even going to think that. I want to get past that entirely. But at this point, at this point, it seems straightforward enough, right? So there's big details that haven't been closed in, but Harris James killed Lucy. He clearly had knowledge of what was going on. And probably the likelihood is that, that Lucy in some way, um, you know, either sold her kids or was complicit in allowing them to be taken, you know, for whatever reason that is. And that there's, there's Hoyt involvement and, you know, there, there's obviously more detective work that has to be done, but at this point, like I'm feeling pretty clear that there's not going to be like some shadowy yellow King figure lurking. That's, that's out of the picture. And the, the, the story's kind of contained to that, or at least that's how I'm feeling at this point. That all the wild theories that have been thrown out are kind of falling by the wayside. Yeah. I, I mean, I think at that point. Yeah. So from there, and Glenn, sorry, did you have another thought on that? No, 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 I don't think so. I think the only thing I was thinking about was just the two scenes where there were cars parked out of their respective households in different timelines. Yeah, because we get that in 2015. Hayes keeps seeing the car. Yeah, and it front. turns out the car is real. Yeah, because Roland gets a picture of it, unless that was all in Hayes's head, which you never yeah, know. Yeah, I think that was real. Yeah, and that was think... pretty. That was pretty genius. How Wayne walked out there, draws all the attention to him. Meanwhile, Roland just kind of <laughs> waddles behind Chilling. and gets the smartphone pick. <laughs> but here's a, a, a movie scene. you've pulled plenty of times, I'm sure. <laughs> the old distraction pick move. Before we get to the very See Becky end, Lynch. Well, it doesn't involve a picture, but I do have a story that will be told way off, off <laughs> podcast that I, I do. It's very brief, but I need to share it with you, but it will not be on here. Um, okay, so before we get to the, the end of the episode, there's a scene, uh, at least if you're going in chronological in the 1990 uh, time frame, after Roland and Hayes kill Harris James, it cuts to the home of Hayes and Amelia in 1990. And he's got the trash can. He's standing out in the backyard in his underwear, burning all the clothes, obviously evidence of the murder. Yeah, he's he may be a bad detective, but even bad detectives know you can't keep the clothes you were wearing. So here's what I want to propose. Between now and next episode, each of us, with no forewarning, you go out in your backyard, 
You set a fire in a trash can, you stand out there in your underwear, and just wait for your wife to come out, and then document how the how the exchange goes and see if the Amelia reaction is normal. Because <laughs> essentially Hayes is just like, we'll talk about it in the morning. Yeah, and she's, <laughs> she's like, like, that's okay. it. All right. <laughs> and then did you think they were going to do it then? Oh, of course. Like in the trash can. <laughs> That hypothetical, you guys haven't seen my new backyard, but that hypothetical would be the funniest for me because if I did that this time of year, there would be probably six different neighbors that would see every bit of it. And I would probably have squad cars from every county at my house. Right. So I think my takeaway from this episode was, I think a lot of the things that occurred were fairly predictable. I mean, we... Which makes me worried that we're totally missing it. We got to... We got to get to the very end. Oh, okay. The very okay. end is, is 1990 and Wayne's in the house and he gets a well, phone Well, it's the next call. morning because he's going to tell Amelia the next morning what exactly. happened. But he gets a phone call from Mr. Hoyt. Edward Hoyt. Ed Hoyt. And he's like, Who do you think uh, plays him? Do just we, come on out. Did you recognize that voice? No. Okay. Do you know who it is? Yeah, John Candy. I can't believe it. <laughs> How's he Gus, doing these Gus days? Gus Malinsky, the polka king of the Midwest. No, I don't uh, know who it is. Do you know? No, but I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. But someone said that I was reading, and I guess it was when they were talking to Harris James in his office. There's a picture, or maybe it was in when Tom went to the Hoyt household. There's a picture of like someone with like a deer or something like after a hunt, and they said that the the picture is of an actor, like a famous actor that we haven't seen. So they're pretty sure that's who is going to play Ed Hoyt, but I don't okay. remember the name. But he, he invites Wayne, or he, he wants Wayne to come out, and Wayne's kind of initially like, nah, I, don't, I think I'm good. And he's like, oh, well, we can come in, and we can talk to Amelia and to, to Henry and Rebecca and you know, your dog and all this kind of stuff. And we can discuss it in there. And he's like, no, I think I can, I think I can come out. (laughs) And I guess it ends with him getting in the car and they just drive away. So what do you guys think? How do you think, I mean, of course we've established that they're terrible detectives. So obviously they picked up a tail and didn't realize it, but Hoyt sure seemed to have all the details of what went down that night on the, you know, with them taking, uh, Harris to a remote area. So, I mean, how how do you think the tail and surveillance went down that they were able to acquire all that information? I think that that uh, big tower that Tom was left on is just high enough in the air you can see everything <laughs> that goes on in the entire town. That's my theory on that. So I've got the name of this actor, and he is not um, not a household name. But he has been on um, several shows, and apparently he had a, a fairly big role on The Walking Dead, which I didn't watch. Did you guys watch Walking Dead? I I have. All right. Well, what do, is his do name? Do you know a character named oh. Merle Dixon? Yes. Do you know who that is? No. That is the actor Michael Rooker. That's right. That's who, the guy. Who played Rowdy Burns on Days of Thunder. Whoa. <laughs> How is that not the lead? It says Walking Dead actor to play Thomas Hoyt. It doesn't say Rowdy Burns. Yeah, well, 
They did, they missed his best work. They just put his most recent on there. <laughs> well, that's a big. So will Cole Trickle make an appearance? <laughs> hey, he he didn't die. He just won uh, he Daytona. Was, he had a pretty big role in both the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I haven't, haven't seen either of those. He played that one character that I don't know right now. <laughs> the blue dude with the arrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real, real, this is really, yeah. It looks like you guys really did your research for this podcast. So that, um, being, that being, that being said, where, where, what's your final prediction for where this ends up then? Well, I just a, need a big payoff. Just sign, because... the, sign the screen right here. Tell me, tell me what your prediction is. I, what happened in episode seven, I think was largely predictable. Um, but we needed these are things we needed to happen. Uh, I just need a you big did this to yourself. Out. Yes, <laughs> we need something in the last episode. It can't just be an easy formula because I feel like this whole show is just it's not really that difficult to put together. It's like I'm just doing some long division for seven <laughs> hours straight. It's not really difficult. It's just a big enough problem that it's just taking up time but it's not really that big of a challenge. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, so, the so you basically attorney, your analogy that you went with is you equated a TV show to long division. That's right. You heard it here first. All right. Well, we got the tip, uh, got the title of the episode. Write that down. Tell me where to turn episode 110 long division. <laughs> oh yes. Do you have a, do you have a theory, Tommy? Yeah, my theory is uh, is going to be the uh, Glenn doesn't get a payoff theory and that no crime was actually committed and that everything is explained away. I mean, there's there's a cover up going on, but that uh, that um, Will died uh, uh, in an accident and that Julie is actually uh, has Hoyt DNA and was kept. Uh, in the uh, confinement area with the crazy daughter, but not um, not like sexually abused or anything. And then she left and went her own way. That's my that's my prediction. There's Who no Will Will died uh, by slipping and falling and hitting his head on a rock. And then they decided um, to you know cover it up, but the, but there was no intent to harm him. Do we know in the timeline when the crazy daughter died in relation to when the kids got kidnapped slash killed. I don't know that they ever even said that the crazy daughter was for sure dead. Cause you said she was in an accident, but, but that they, was when they confined her after the accident. So she got out of the house, right. had the accident and then they, they got Mr. June to watch her after that. So, so here's the next question. Was she, without their knowledge, getting out of the house again? And that's who the kids were playing with. Ooh, man. Saving the good stuff for the end of the show. Well. Because you know, you've got toys, you've got somebody with a diminished mental capacity. you got some. You got kids who are, over a course of time, going out into the woods and playing with someone, but they don't find it odd, which I think they would with an adult. Was she the other woman with Mr. June under the ghost outfit playing Halloween? 
and he was just there to keep an eye on her. Maybe and that's and that's how they well they would have befriended them the kids before that, right? Or was right. that yeah, but maybe maybe no. she just was living out, you know, childhood like behavior and he was there to keep an eye on her and they weren't together. She was a she was an adult, but he was he was there in a caretaker role, not a not as a he part was, of a criminal he was power Oha. couple. <laughs> All right, that's got to be the end right there. Yeah, I think so too. Me and my best friends cruising down West End Street, hiding from cops and driving circles around the block all week. Now all of my friends died out on West End Street. They say we're born to die young, but we're just trying to live in peace.